1: Good morning, beloved family. So good to be with you. This is a day before our Holy Day of Obligation tomorrow, the Immaculate Conception of our Blessed Mother, without whom we would not have our Savior. Um, it's a truly, truly wonderful. Our video is having a little problem at the moment, so hopefully we'll have it back in, in a minute or two. Um, we're going to continue today with Dom Prosper-Gueranger's <clears throat> wonderful work. On Advent. He has the mystery of the Advent, um, with the history of the Advent and the mystery of the Advent and the practice we have during Advent. And he wrote it in the 1800s, and it truly, truly um, very beautiful and the true teaching of the church. And he helps us to live the liturgical year. He has a 15 volume set, many of you know, um, on the liturgical year. It looks like our video is back. Thank you, um, Jacob. Jacob is filling in for James today. There's such a wonderful crew at the Station of the Cross. I love them. Um, So let me see if we could pick up where we left off yesterday. Let me just find that if I can. Um, I don't want to reread so much that we've already read. Um, And what we've read is the history of the beginning of Advent and how it used to be not four weeks, but 40 days. And it was known and still is among some as a a little Lent because it's a a whole period of fasting. It's been reduced. Some people still uh, follow the 40 days, but most the four weeks and uh, say one week. Uh, when each of the four candles we light during the Advent season representing a thousand years before Christ. Um, and But the custom of fasting and so much fell into disuse through the years. It's really, um, um, it, it, it's a shame, um, of course. But I, I'm always tempted to reread what we've already read. Ambrosian liturgy, to this day has six weeks um, of Advent um, and so forth. And with regard to the Greeks, their rubric, rubrics for Advent are given um, in the Menea immediately after the office for November 14th. So they they have no proper office for Advent. Um, um, oh, let's see here. Um, let me just read uh, the kind of a conclusion here. The liturgical form of Advent, as it now exists in the Roman Church, has gone through certain modifications. St. Gregory seems to have been the first to draw up the office for this season, which originally included five Sundays, as is evident from the most ancient sacramentaries of this great pope. It even appears probable and the opinion has been adopted by Amalarius of Metz, Berno of Reichnau, Dom Martin, and Benedict XIV, that St. Gregory... <clears throat> oh, my computer is skipping all over the place. Look at that. This is really bad. Um, I'm so Sorry. This is a new little laptop, and it's kind of doing its own thing. I don't like that. I don't know why. Um, Okay, here, we're back to where we were. Um, St. Gregory originated the ecclesiastical precept of Advent, although the custom of devoting a longer or shorter period to preparation for Christmas has been observed from time immemorial. So, during Advent... um, with, with probably properly called advent or under whatever pope or or season uh, or, or area geographic area or right r i t e of the church it has always been celebrated as a preparation for Christmas, a preparation for the birth of God of the Son of God who is God the Son and uh, that 's what it 's for beloved um if We are spending Advent shopping and going to Christmas parties and having all kinds of decorations and celebrations. We are celebrating the world's Christmas. The world doesn't celebrate Advent. It's only Christmas for them. And they hardly know the meaning. Because, as I've said before, more than once, I'd never tire of repeating this. When God appeared to the Israelites in the Old Testament... Um, Exodus, they needed to fast, they needed to bathe, they needed to even refrain from marital relations, not because that's not a holy issue, but uh, they were to appear before God, whom to see would be death for them. The Jews knew that to come into the presence of God would be immediate death because they are sinful. We are sinful, and God is holy. And nothing sinful can come into his presence. So even though uh, Moses told the people at God's instruction to stay back from the mountain quite a distance, they still need to made, have made to pray, to have fasted, to make all those preparations to stay a great distance from the mountain and not hear God, just hear a kind of a thunder from the mountain. And now we celebrate his coming to earth um, and as if he's hardly even one of us. Hardly even one of us we make less preparation for Christmas than a family does for the birth of its own child um, it It's tragic, um, and Satan knows how to draw us from God, how to make all the stores beautiful with its cr- frosty the snowman and all the Christmas music um, it it's really um, it, it's so deeply sad to my heart. <clears throat> St. Gregory fixed for the churches of the Latin Rite the form of the office for this Lent-like season and sanctioned the fast, which had been established granting a certain latitude to the several churches as to the manner of its observance. Tile Sacramente, Tile, T-I-L-E, Sacramentary of St. Galatius has neither mass nor office of preparation for Christmas. The first we meet with, are in the Gregorian Sacramentary. And as we just observed, these Masses are five in number. It is remarkable that these Sundays were then counted inversely, that is, the nearest to Christmas was called the first Sunday, and so on with the rest. So far back as the ninth and 10th centuries, these Sundays were reduced to four, as we learn from a, mal- um, a malarious Saint Nicholas I, Berno of Rachnow, uh, Ratharius Ratherius of Verona, etc. And such also is their number in the Gregorian Sacramentary of Pamilius which appears to have been transcribed about this same period. I know, beloved, you don't know all these people, neither do I. I'm I'm even hoping to get the pronunciation of their names somewhat right, um, but it shows that this not of man, it has gone through the history of the church. From that time, the Roman church has always observed this arrangement of Advent, which gives it four weeks, the fourth being that in which Christmas Day falls, unless December 25th be a Sunday. We may therefore consider the present discipline of the observance of Advent as having lasted a thousand years, at least as far as the Church of Rome is concerned. For some of the churches in France kept up the number of five Sundays as late as the 13th century. <clears throat> We're almost at the end, beloved. Two more paragraphs. The Ambrosian Liturgy, even to this day, has six weeks of Advent. So has the Gothic or um, Mozarabic Mosari- Missal, As regards the Gallican liturgy, the fragments collected by Dom Mabilian give us no information, but it is natural to suppose with this learned man, whose opinion has been confirmed by Dom Martin, that the Church of Gaul adopted in this, as in so many other points, the usages of the Gothic Church, that is to say, that that its advent consisted of six Sundays and six weeks. With regard to the Greeks, their rubrics for Advent are given in the... We just read this in the beginning. Let me just close out with this. Uh, the rubrics for Advent are given in the Menea immediately after the office for November 14th. They have no proper office for Advent. Neither do they celebrate during this time the Mass of the pre-sanctified as they do in Lent. In Lent, there are only in the offices for the saints whose feasts occur between November 14th and the Sunday nearest Christmas, frequent allusions to the birth of the Savior, to the maternity of Mary, to the cave of Bethlehem, etc. On the Sunday preceding Christmas, in order to celebrate the expected coming of the Messiah, they kept what they call the Feast of the Holy Fathers, that is, the commemoration of the saints of the old law, you know, I often wonder, the Eastern Church uh, commemorates all those saints, St. Saint David, St. Moses, St. Abraham. I, I grieve that we don't do this uh, in, the, in the West. They give the name of the ante feast, A-N-T-E, meaning before, the ante feast of the Nativity, to December 20th, 21, 22, and 23. And although they say the office of several saints on these four days Yet the mystery of the birth of Jesus pervades the whole liturgy. We are done reading through the history um, of Advent, beloved. And most of this you may not have gotten with all the names and and dates and all of this. But the point is, for 1,000 years, the Church has celebrated Advent um, as a true preparation for the coming of the Son of God fasting and in prayer be right back hello beloved this is mother miriam many of you are familiar with mother miriam live but I wonder if you have listened to some of the other programs from the Station of the Cross, such as The Catholic Current. Father Robert McTague discusses important topics in the Church and in the world each weekday at 5 p.m. Eastern. You can listen anytime to The Catholic Current as a podcast on the iCatholic Radio mobile app.
0: Think about this. Less than 4 in 10 Americans can name any of the five freedoms guaranteed in the First Amendment. Yet, 41% of Americans under 35 think the First Amendment goes too far. Do you know your five freedoms guaranteed in the First Amendment? Freedom of speech. Freedom of religion. Freedom of the press. Freedom to peaceably assemble. Freedom to petition the government. Think first. Go to thinkfirstamendment.org to learn more. Station of the Cross, we proudly bring the truths of the Catholic faith to countless listeners through radio and mobile devices, and we're grateful for the feedback we've received.
2: I grew up Catholic Church, haven't been in the Catholic Church for decades, but I'm in the process of working my way back for the simple reason that I needed a place to listen to pro-life, pro-family messages, Catholic radio is it. It's a place to hear that message without all the political bias and all that that's going on on News Talk Radio. It changed my life.
1: It's the only station I turn on. The Catholic station is an answer to prayer. It, It couldn't be more fulfilling.
2: It's helped me learn more about the faith, and it's helped me to deepen my faith
0: as a result of
1: that it's on continuously in my house day and night you can't imagine how much i receive from that channel
0: if you've been blessed by listening to the station of the cross let us know call one 877 6279 extension 112 then share your testimonial with us
1: And um, I'm so happy to be with you. And after um, the second break, we'll have a whole half hour to ourselves for your calls and your emails. We completed, just before the break, the history of Advent. And I wish to go on to the mystery of Advent. And tomorrow we will um, focus on the Immaculate Conception of the Blessed Virgin. It's a holy day of obligation, beloved, so we must be at Mass. Um, And uh, thank God for the Immaculate Conception, without which we would not have the virgin birth. Dom Garanger goes on to speak of the mystery of Advent, and he said, if now that we have described the characteristic features of Advent, which distinguish it from the rest of the year, in fact, you know it's our new year, I hope you're wishing everybody Happy New Year, because it's the liturgical new year, If now that we've described the characteristic features of Advent, oh dear. Well, beloved, I lost that page. This is really, really amazing. I'm so sorry. Hold on. Here it is. I'm going to get it back. I don't know what is going on with my computer but I thank God for the um, for the technology we do have that allows us to connect, so I shouldn't complain. Here, I've got it back. <clears throat> if now that we have described the characteristic features of Advent which distinguish it from the rest of the year, we would penetrate into the profound mystery which occupies the mind of the church during this season. We find that this mystery of the coming or advent of Jesus is at once simple and threefold. It is simple for it is the one same Son of God that is coming. It is threefold because he comes at three different times and in three different ways. In the first coming, Saint says St. Bernard, he comes in the flesh and in weakness. In the second, he comes in spirit and And in power, and in the third, he comes in glory and in majesty. And the second coming is the means whereby we pass from the first to the third. This, then, is the mystery of Advent. Um, Let me continue here. Let us now listen to the explanation of this threefold visit of Christ given to us by Peter of Bloy in his third sermon, Day Adventu of Advent, quote, there are three comings of our Lord, the first in the flesh, the second in the soul, and the third at the judgment. Same thing as we just said before. The first was at midnight, according to those words of the gospel. At midnight there was a cry made, lo, the bridegroom cometh. But this first coming is long since past, for Christ has been seen on the earth and has conversed among men. We are now in the second coming, provided only we are such as that he may thus come to us. For he has said that if we love him, he will come unto us and will take up his abode with us. So that this second coming is full of uncertainty to us. For who, save the Spirit of God, knows them that are of God? They that are raised out of themselves by the desire of heavenly things know indeed when he comes. But whence he cometh, or whither he goeth, they know not. As for the third coming, it is most certain that it will be most uncertain when it will be. For nothing is more sure than death, and nothing less sure than the hour of death. When they shall say peace and security, says the Apostle, Then shall sudden destruction come upon them, as the pains upon her that is with child, and they shall not escape, so that the first coming was humble and hidden, the second is mysterious and full of love, the third will be majestic and terrible. In his first coming, Christ was judged by men unjustly. In his second, he renders us just by his grace. And in his third, he will judge all things with justice. In his first, a lamb. In his last, a lion. In the one in between the two, the tenderest of friends. Oh, I think that's exquisitely beautiful. Exquisitely beautiful. In his first coming, he came as a lamb. In his last coming, he will come as a lion, and the one in between the two, the tenderest of friends. The Holy Church, therefore, during Advent, awaits in tears and with ardor the arrival of her Jesus in his first coming. See, beloved, this should be our attitude and practice during Advent, during this season. The Holy Church, therefore, during Advent, awaits in tears. And with ardor, the arrival of her Jesus in his first coming. For this, she borrows the fervid expressions of the prophets, to which she joins her own supplications. These longings for the Messiah expressed by the church are not a mere commemoration of the desires of the ancient Jewish people. They have a reality and efficacy of their own, an influence in the great act of God's munificence, whereby he gave us his own son. From all eternity, the prayers of the ancient Jewish people and the prayers of the Christian church ascended together to the prescient hearing of God. And it was after receiving and granting them that he sent in the appointed time that blessed dew, capital D-E-W, that blessed dew upon the earth, which made it bud forth the Savior. The church aspires also to the second coming, the consequence of the first, which consists, as we have just seen, in the visit of the bridegroom to the bride. This coming takes place each year at the feast of Christmas, when the new birth of the Son of God delivers the faithful from that yoke of bondage under which the enemy would oppress them. The church, therefore, during Advent, prays that she may be visited by him who is her head and her spouse, visited in her hierarchy, visited in her members, of whom some are living and some are dead, but may come to life again, visited lastly in those who are not in communion with her, and even In the very infidels, that so they may be converted to the true light which shines even for them. The expressions of the liturgy which the church makes use of to ask for this loving and invisible coming are those which she employs when begging for the coming of Jesus in the flesh. For the two visits are for the same object. In vain would the Son of God have come. 1900 years ago, and now, it's, now this was written in the 1800s, so it's more than that now, <clears throat> to visit and save mankind, unless he came again for each one of us, and at every moment of our lives, bringing to us and cherishing within us that supernatural life, of which he and his Holy Spirit are the sole principle. <clears throat> But this annual visit of the spouse does not content the church. She aspires after a third coming, which will complete all things by opening the gates of eternity. She has caught up the last words of her spouse. Surely I am coming quickly, Revelation 22. And she cries out to him, Ah, Lord, come, Jesus, Lord, Jesus, come. She is impatient to be loosed from her present temporal state. She longs for the number of the elect to be filled up and to see appear in the clouds of heaven the sign of her deliverer and her spouse. Her desires expressed by her Advent liturgy go even as far as this. And here we have the explanation of these words of the beloved disciple in his prophecy. The nuptials, this is Revelation um, 19, the nuptials of the lamb are come and his wife hath prepared herself. But the day of his last coming to her will be a day of terror. The church frequently trembles at the very thought of that awful judgment in which all mankind is to be tried. She calls it a day of wrath on which, as David and the Sibyl have foretold, The world will be reduced to ashes, a day of weeping and of fear. Not that she fears for herself, since she knows that this day will forever secure for her the crown as being the bride of Jesus. But her maternal heart is troubled at the thought that on the same day, so many of her children will be on the left hand of the judge and having no share with the elect will be bound hand and foot and cast into the darkness where there shall be everlasting weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is the reason why the church in the liturgy of Advent so frequently speaks of the coming of Christ as a terrible coming and selects from the scriptures those passages which are most calculated to awaken a salutary fear in the mind of such of her children as may be sleeping the sleep of sin. <clears throat> Yesterday, beloved, at the second half of our program, we had a, an email from uh, a Jewish woman who I believe is looking into the Catholic Church and wanted to know why the, the Jewish canon was not formalized prior to the destruction of the temple in 70 AD. Well, there may be very many reasons for that, but the fact is the Jewish canon ends with the book of Revelation. Both Old and New Testaments are Jewish. The Jewish Messiah said, this is the new covenant in my blood. They were written by Jews, Old and New Testament. They are one, It's not the Hebrew Bible and the Christian Bible. It is all the Hebrew Bible or all the Christian Bible. The Christians are simply Jews who are fulfilled in their Messiah. They're all one. The canon was not put together until all was complete. Everything we're reading from the New Testament, except for Luke, was written by Jews. And Luke wrote from his witness, because he traveled with the Apostle Paul who was a Hebrew of the Hebrews, and Luke was the physician, and what he wrote he got from the Apostle Paul, both um, the book of the Gospel of Luke and the Book of Acts were written by Luke, the only non-Jew in all of Scripture, who wrote what he wrote and learned what he learned from one of the greatest Jews, St Paul <clears throat> Oh, well, I think it'd be good for us to stop there today, beloved. And hopefully, well, we won't continue tomorrow with this because tomorrow is the solemnity of the Immaculate Conception. And we will speak about our Blessed Mother who was conceived in her mother Anne's womb without sin and remained without sin in order to bear the sinless Son of God. So call in, beloved. With anything whatsoever.
2: Hi, Joe McLean here, host of a Catholic Take, I heard on the Station of the Cross eight, each weekday morning at 7 a.m. Eastern. A bold synthesis of information and inspiration, keeping you up to date on the news and issues that you may have missed from a courageous Catholic perspective. That's a Catholic Take. Weekday morning, 7 a.m., right here on the Station of the Cross, and the free iCatholic Radio Mobile app downloaded today. God love you. Did you know that an unwanted car or truck can make a great gift? When the time comes to purchase a new one, consider donating your old car or truck to the Station of the Cross. We have a quick and simple way for you to get rid of your unwanted vehicle while supporting the solid Catholic programming you love listening to on your radio, online, and through your mobile devices. Whether they run or not, we accept cars, trucks, RVs, boats, and motorcycles. It's a great opportunity for you to give more than you might normally be able to. At the same time, you'll be clearing out space in your garage or driveway, ridding yourself of an unwanted vehicle. Just visit us online at thestationofthecross.com or call one 628 cars one 628 2277. May God bless you for your generosity in support of Catholic Radio.
1: The Station of the Cross has many ways to keep you informed about our programming. You can view the highlights of our primetime programming schedule or the full 24-7 programming grid at both thestationofthecross.com or the free iCatholic Radio app. Just search under the Programming tab. Our website also offers a printable version for your
0: convenience. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483
1: or email her at mother at Cross.com. Welcome back, beloved, to Mother Miriam Live. This is our half hour together, my favorite time of the program, and our lines are Wide open as always, and um, you're welcome and invited to call in with anything whatsoever on your heart. The heart of the matter is the matter of your heart. It does not have to be our subject. And again, the toll free number 1 511 5483 or email at mother at the station of the We have an email from Esteban <clears throat> who writes Hi, Blessed Mother Miriam. I'm the trucker from Mexico that wrote to you in January about keeping Sunday holy. I remember you, Esteban. Yes. Um, the trucker from Mexico that wrote to you in January about keeping Sunday holy for the first time. And praise be to God. He has allowed me to keep it so. Oh, I'm so pleased, Esteban. You know, so many people work on Sunday, but, um, when we really want to honor God and we do what we can, Our Lord works it out. It's so beautiful. And Esteban continues, and this year, I want to keep Advent holy for the first time. Oh, God bless you, dear brother. He says, I've been listening to your Advent, I've listened to your Advent related podcasts, and I'm determined to not put up any Christmas decorations this year until it's really time for Christmas. Oh, you do my heart good. It's a change. It's a sacrifice. Oh, yes, I know. But I would gladly do it for love of God. Oh, how beautiful. How beautiful. You know, I'm interrupting your email to say when women first come in to our community and they're used to parties and Christmas decorations, they're good, holy women, but that's the way people do it. And we don't do anything. We don't have a single light up. We have an advent wreath. We have a beautiful, small statue of our Blessed Mother in her um Uh, state when she's with child and uh, we say the prayers and light the advent candles and and nothing else and it's it's a little empty for them but now after they're with us a while um it's very beautiful because they are walking in union with god and they don't want anything to be a distraction it's very beautiful esteban continues his email also i wanted to let you know i help with a first communion class for eight-year-olds, and this Saturday, I will teach them about the real St. Nicholas of Bari and also teach them how St. Nicholas celebrated Advent and Christmas according to Catholic tradition and how he wants us to do that ourselves and offer sacrifice to dispose ourselves as we wait for Jesus. Oh, my heart is just swelling, Esteban. Regarding, he says, my life after keeping Sunday holy, Mother, I cannot begin to tell you how God has blessed my life, entered my heart, given me beautiful missions, and softened my loads. He even allowed me to atone and alms give with money I made working on Sundays. That money was the witness of a crime crying out to heaven. And he has given me the precious gift of purifying my body and soul and advancing in my spiritual life. Like never before, God has set me apart from the world. And when I asked him why, the reply I felt in my heart was, because you kept my holy day. Praise be to God, he writes. God bless you and guide you in everything you do. Thank you, Mother Miriam Esteban. Esteban, I am a goosebump. I am one goosebump. I would like to print out your email and frame it. It is so, so beautiful it is a witness of what god does uh for and in those who love him it is so extremely beautiful and you know um when you say you ask god why he set you apart from the world the fact is that our baptism we are all set apart for the world we are made saints at our baptism not the saints as we will be in heaven one day but to be a saint is to be set apart Consecrated from the world to God. This is why the Apostle Paul writes to the saints, uh, in Philippi, to those called the saints in Rome and so forth. These are, he, in the margin of uh, study Bible, you'll say it says holy ones. Holy ones doesn't mean perfect. It means set apart. It means set apart from God. And God would have all of us be set apart for him. But if you know our ladies, um, apparition at La Salette, one of the major apparitions absolutely approved by the church. Um, uh, Our Lady was seen by two little children, a girl and a boy, um, because she was sitting and holding her head in her hands and crying, and they asked her why, and she said, because no one is any longer keeping Sunday holy. That's why she was crying. That was the cause of the apparition at La Salette to keep holy the Lord's day. You've really made my day, Esteban. Very, very beautiful. God bless you. And if you have any trials or you feel attacked, just know that it's a confirmation that you're living for God. We have an email from Mikhail who says, Hello, Mother. What is the best way to deal with adult children who are being disrespectful or disruptive in the family, especially children who are practicing the faith and claiming that their decisions are the result of lots of prayer and discernment. Mikhail, you say adult children. Um, If they're under 18 and they're disrespectful, and I don't know how you raise them, I I can't know that, but um, if they're under 18 and they're disrespectful or disruptive, then you must discipline them. And if they will not be disciplined, then you put them out. You will not allow a child to disrupt the family, or be distra- or break the commandment. You could say to him, you may. You could say to them, um, they claim their decisions are the results of lots, of lots of prayer and discernment. But you can say to them, there's no amount of prayer and discernment that would cause you to break the commandment to honor your mother and father. God would not do that. There is nothing that is the fruit of prayer and discernment that would cause you to be disrespectful or disruptive. Um, it's not God who's answering your prayers. So if they're over 18, out of the house. Out of the house. Uh, don't give them two weeks today. Out of the house. Mom, I have to find a job. I have to apply. Fine. But as long as you're under this roof, you be disrespectful dis- uh, and respectful. You are not to disrupt the family. you to be a part of it. If you can't do that, your bags will be on the front porch. And now, you have no time to adjust. As of now, the next time you're disrespectful or disruptive, your bags are on the front porch and you do not come back. So be careful and think well before you act or speak. And again, over 18, out of the house. And under 18, same thing. Same thing. Um, You need to discipline. If they're under 18, you need to discipline them. And you need to warn them that the next time they're disrespectful, they will be out of the house. Where am I going to go, Mom? I'm only seven years old. To juvenile hall. I'll take you to social services. You don't want to be part of a family. You don't want to love God. You don't want to follow the commandments. You want to disrupt the family. You're in the wrong place you're in the wrong place and it will not be allowed. I know that's very harsh, a tough love, as people say. But parents, you need to not allow your children to say one word of disrespect to you from the moment they learn to say mommy and daddy. If they ever say no to you, if they're ever disrespectful and you let it go, uh, then you are raising disrespectful disruptive children that has to be from childhood on not from 10 on from a year on so michael if you have not done that and you've raised disrespectful disruptive children then you need to give them an ultimative and you need to say there's no more in this house we're preparing for christmas this is a season of penance and we're going to do penance. And no one is ever again, we're going to keep the commandments, you're going to honor your mother and father, no one ever again is going to utter a disrespectful word. And when you do, you're going to get on your knees, on your knees, and ask me or your father or your mother for, for uh, forgiveness. Or your sister or your brother. You will be on your knees before them, saying, I am sorry, will you forgive me? If you don't do that, You'll pack your bags and leave. Because otherwise, nothing will change and you will be frustrated and you'll allow your children to grow up as criminals. We have an email from Marty who says Dear Mother Miriam, thanks for your great show. I'm wondering if you have any advice about children's names. Is it okay for Catholics to name their children with names that are important to their own culture? but are not the names of any saints. Sure, that's fine. At least as far as they know. Yes, no problem on that. And then Marty says, what about names like Joy? I I don't see a problem. I knew someone once who had a confirmation name Joy that always seemed a little strange, but it seems like it would be okay as a given name. I agree with you. I wouldn't have a confirmation name that is not the name of a saint because there is no Saint Joy And the confirmation saint you pick is the saint that you wish to guide you and pray for you and protect you. Um, There's no joy. There's no saint joy. So uh, a given name is fine, but you want a confirmation name as uh, the name of the saint who your child has studied and picked as his or her hero. So if a child says, I want the name of Mary, why? What Mary? The Blessed Mother, fine. But now why do you want her? A child should do a study of the saints and pick the saint that they want to emulate for the rest of their life and have the help of that saint. Uh, We have an email from Vito, and Vito says, Mother, um, hold on now. Please share your thoughts on the good thief on the cross and his assurance of salvation. Well, this is a lengthy email, but let me just say, um, I don't have to have thoughts. Our Lord said to that thief, today you will be with me in paradise, saved on the spot, saved on the spot. Uh, if you are a great sinner for many, many years, And at the age of 54, you are baptized for the first time. If you die that moment, you're straight to heaven. You will be with God because baptism frees you from all sin, and you haven't had any actual sin past that baptism. Same thing with the thief on the cross. He was saved by the grace of God because he repented of his sins, and God said, now you'll be with me in paradise. Vito says, oftentimes, Protestants ask the question, if you die tonight, would you go to heaven? Obviously, Catholics have assurance of salvation if they are faithful and keep God's commandments. That's not true. Yes, if they are faithful, I I shouldn't say that, yes. If they are faithful and keep God's commandments, there's only one salvation. It's not one for Protestants and one for Catholics. It's the same. Uh, I used to knock on doors, Vito, and um, ask people the same question as a protestant if you die tonight would you go to heaven and not any catholic would ever say yes they'd say well well i hope so and the second question is if you did die tonight and you stood before god and he said to you why should i let you into my heaven what would you say and usually the catholics or most people would say i don't know i mean i'm I'm, i've tried to be good i tried and so for the protestant they say then you're not saved we're not saved on good works we're not saved based on what we try to do we're saved based on the grace of god you have to ask jesus into your life and he saves you that is true however there's no scripture if you ask jesus number one there's no scripture that tells you to ask jesus into your life secondly if the, if the Protestant says there's nothing you can do for salvation or you have to ask Jesus into your life, well, then there's something you have to do. You have to ask Jesus into your life and you have to do something that the Bible doesn't tell you to do. So um, we're going to continue with Vito's email as soon as we come back from the break. Beloved, don't go away. We'll be right back.
2: The New Testament's first letter of St. John, chapter 5, verses 14 and 15, we read, And we have this confidence in Him that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us in regard to whatever we ask, we know that what we have asked Him for is ours. It's incredible to realize how much God loves us, what He has promised us, and what He'll give us through our trust in Him. Have you prayed for the station of the cross today? We would be grateful if you would remember us each day in your prayers whether it's the most holy rosary of the blessed virgin mary the chaplet of divine mercy the liturgy of the hours the most holy sacrifice of the mass or any other prayers you pray throughout the day please also pray for the intentions of your fellow catholic radio listeners it's so important for us to remember to keep one another in prayer
0: The Station of the Cross began broadcasting in Buffalo, New York in 1999. Since then, our listening areas have multiplied and expanded into several states. While our mission is to grow the Catholic faith through radio and other media outlets, our apostolate is supportive of, but independent from your local diocese. Through your generosity, we are able to inspire countless listeners with the gospel and help lead them to a parish to be spiritually nourished by the sacraments. Hear a
2: powerful sermon you need to share with a loved one. Maybe there's a guest, prayer, or teaching segment that deserves another listen. You can listen to any of our network-produced programs at your convenience by finding us wherever you enjoy podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Podbean, and the free iCatholic Radio app. Be uplifted in your faith. Listen today at thestationofthecross.com or on your favorite podcasting platform.
1: um, and you're still welcome to call in with anything on your heart, toll-free 1-877-511-5483. We began an email from Vito just before the break, and I'm going to continue with it. <clears throat> just in case you're just tuning in, I'll reread um, Vito's first paragraph. He says, Mother, please share your thoughts on the good thief on the cross and his assurance of salvation. Oftentimes, Protestant a- Protestants ask the question, if you die tonight, would you go to heaven? Obviously, Catholics have assurance of salvation if they are faithful and keep God's commands, according to 1 John 2, 3. Well, there's one way of salvation for everyone. Catholics, Protestants, Jews, Muslims, atheists. If we love God and keep his commandments, we have to be born again. That is, we were born first from my mother's womb. We need to be born from above, spiritually, Um, 1 John chapter 3. We must be born again. And so um, the good thief on the cross, we know he had was he saved completely because Jesus said tonight, to this day you will be with me in heaven. And we know that his contrition, Jesus is God, knows his heart, was absolutely perfect. Um, um, and so... Um, Uh, Let me see. Vito writes, but I don't want to repeat what we already said before the break. Vito says, but it is also written that to enter heaven, one must be perfectly holy because nothing unclean shall enter it. Revelation 21. That's correct. What an honor for the good thief to have confession with Jesus in the flesh. Although I know that as Catholics, when we receive absolution in the sacrament uh, of reconciliation, we are actually receiving absolutes absolution directly from jesus i'm so glad you said that Vito. god is the only one that forgives sins he's chosen to forgive our sins through the priesthood which he established but when the priest says i absolve you it is jesus saying i absolve you through the instrumentality of that priest Vito says it seems to me that the good thief's penance was perfect because he died on the cross in the same way that jesus did Not because he died on the cross the same way that Jesus did, but he had a heart of perfect contrition. God knows that. We may go to confession many times, but it doesn't mean, our our, and we may be forgiven, and we're given penance. It doesn't mean that our contrition was perfect. Uh, It may have been true, but it may not have been perfect. God knows the heart. And clearly, Vito says, Jesus gave him absolution when he said, today you will be with me in paradise. Luke 23, absolutely, Vito. Vito continues, but from a Catholic perspective, I understand that purgatory may be necessary for many of us to attain that perfect state before entering heaven. I would say, Vito, most of us. Purgatory are for those who are saved and being saved and on their way to heaven. Nobody's in purgatory. It's not a second chance. Nobody is in purgatory who does not die in a state of grace and are on their way to heaven. Paul says to the Philippians, I am convinced of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ. Philippians 1.6. And that gift of perfection until the day of Christ is ha- held, uh, handled in purgatory. Um, doesn't have to be. We can go straight to heaven, but that means we have to do a lot of penance here on earth. For the temporal effects of our sin, not the eternal effects, not the sin that separates us from God, but what we owe to each other for sinning, what our sin does, harming one another. Um, And so Vito says, from a Catholic perspective, I understand that purgatory may be necessary for many of us to attain that perfect state before entering heaven. We find this in St. Paul's writings, that, quote, each man's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it. Paul wrote this to the Corinthians, chapter 3, verses 10 and following. And he's writing about the bema seat, the the rewards for the Christians who die in a state of grace. Saved, forgiven. Saved, forgiven Christians. Paul says, each man's work will become manifest. This is at the the first judgment, when he stands before God. For that day will disclose it. Because it will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself would be saved, but only as through fire. And that particular passage in Corinthians 3 says if your work is wood, hay, stubble, it's going to burn up. It means nothing. If it's gold, um, silver, and precious stone, you can put it through the fire, it won't be harmed, because those are the works done for the glory of God and the good of eternity. But this is so important. Paul is writing to the first church he founded, and he's writing to Christians who are saved, who have died in a state of grace, and he's telling them that the fire is going to test whether their works burn up or whether they are good for eternity. And if you continue to read 1 Corinthians chapter 3, it says that they will be, the people will still be saved, but as through fire. Well, where do they go as through fire? They're already dead. It's not on earth. And there's no fire in penance in heaven. And so there, somehow there's some place or something between earth and the final stage of glory where the fire could be, where our works will be tested and burned up. And that place is purgatory. Avito says, sorry for the long-winded discourse, but here's my question. Aha. (laughs) He says, let's say, for example, that the good thief had a propensity toward drinking or debauchery when he died on the cross, but he made a perfect confession to Jesus. Can we still say for certain that he went directly to heaven, or is it possible that he needed some time in purgatory to be cleansed of that propensity towards sin before entering heaven? No. Because Jesus said, today thou shalt be with me in paradise. We know for sure, no purgatory for that thief. No purgatory. If we, a perfect act of, when we go to confession, we should have a heart of sorrow. We shouldn't just be afraid of hell, but truly sorrowful for our sins. Love should cause us to weep before a holy God that we have offended him so. And that's an act of perfect contrition, which does not, which needs no more penance, and so, purgatory is not for those people who make an absolute perfect perfect act of contrition. That's not easy to do, and very few do that. But the the thief did, and Jesus said today, uh, "You will be with me in heaven." Um, and Vito says, "Maybe Jesus knew the good thief's heart." And he was perfectly ready to enter the kingdom with nothing holding him to this world. That's absolutely true. That's absolutely true. We need to be done with earth most of the time. And Vito says, thank you for taking my question, Vito. You're welcome, Vito. And your question, I think, has helped a good number of people. You know, when we go to confession, all of us have our weakness. Uh, most of us have sins that we continue to confess, even though we're sincere. I, I don't want to ever do that again. I purpose to never do it again. But where we fall because there's still a form of attachment. To make a perfect act of contrition is to be totally detached from that sin. Totally detached. And so we can know that the thief on the cross was totally detached. His eyes were on Jesus and he met him in paradise that day. Beautiful Vito. Thank you so much. There's the closing music, beloved. Um, for our program today. I love being with you tomorrow again, holy day, um, um of, of uh a solemnity of the blessed um the Immaculate conception. Make sure you go to mass, whether or not you work. Um Speak about the Immaculate Conception tomorrow. You can call, and and it's very important to know the difference between the, the Immaculate Conception and the Virgin Birth. They're very different. We'll be with you tomorrow. God bless you.